So if you are in high school right now, don't start networking with individuals who are already working, but start networking with individuals who are currently in university and they're either in third year or their fourth year and start talking to them about finance. Ask, start talking and build a relationship with them. Because when they graduate, they're going, to be able, they're going to be able to mentor you and get you there. You're now listening to season two of Spark After Hours, where we sit down to chat with STEM professionals every Saturday. If you like the episode, consider following us on Spotify and Instagram at SparkHacks. We hope you enjoy. Welcome, everyone, to the very first episode of Spark After Hours Season 2. My name is Samardeep. And my name is Kunal, and we'll be your hosts for today. Spark After Hours is a podcast <laughs> dedicated to discussing STEAM-related topics with individuals across the community. Um, throughout October and November, our team will be bringing you an episode each Saturday. For those who haven't been following us for a while, Spark is a youth-led nonprofit organization, and it was founded in 2018 to engage students in the world of science, technology, engineering, art, and mathematics. Over the pandemic, we've hosted a 36-hour online hackathon called Spark From Home and a virtual case competition this summer called Chase the Case. To start us off for season two, we have Jay Betala, a computing and financial management student at the University of Waterloo. He's a finance and software enthusiast. Welcome, Jay. Happy to be here. So uh, just to start us off, how about you tell us a bit about yourself and uh, what you've done so far? Yeah, so a little bit about me. So as Kunal said, I'm a computing and financial management major at University of Waterloo, went to high school out in Brampton at Turner Fenton, did the IB program. But yeah, so most of my experience in the past, I've really just worked a lot in technical roles. And what I realized a lot in technical roles are they're fun to do. They're, they could be lucrative if you do really well in them. But the problem with them is it's not something that really interested me. I really enjoyed working a lot more in the business side of things and using technical technology as a way to basically make the business more efficient. So it's really led me to finance and really spark my passion for investing and sort of working with businesses a lot more. So that's a little bit about me. Mm-hmm. So uh, we read a bit about your organization, Invest Beta, that you founded yourself. Yeah. So how about you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so Invest Beta is like a very, it's an organization that's really dedicated to educate high school students, first year university, second year university students, more about like corporate finance, things a lot that way that are not really taught in school. So I started it in like, I think my grade of 10 summer and I, because that was when I realized that we have lots of personal finance organizations that are really great, teach people, okay, invest in index funds or how does you make a budget? But what I really wanted to know from that time was how would I really analyze a stock or how would I really look at a company in detail and know what, the, what are the right questions to ask? And what I realized was there's no really any available resources for high school students. So I got my Canadian securities course, did that, learned a lot from there and then found it, found it Invest Beta, had a university student reach out to me and they wanted to get involved. So we started the organization together and that's what it is today. Today, it's the organization where we cover like how to analyze stocks, how to analyze the markets, how you can be a better investor and what are things you should look for if you're trying to go into business. Mm-hmm. Right. And we know that as part of, as part of this campaign, you've run a stock pitch competition with Invest Beta. So we, wanted to, we were wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that, some challenges, some successes and how really that whole thing went. Yeah. So the stock pitch competition for individuals who aren't aware of like what stock pitch competitions are, are they're essentially, you have a stock, like if Kunal says, oh, hey, I have a st- I want to tell some, I want to tell Jay as a, who's a judge, each why he should buy Apple stock. What Kunal's going to do is he's basically going to come in and tell me why Apple's the best company to buy. So we analyze Apple, look at the company, what are their growth strategies? What are their marketing strategies? What is their competitive advantage? Analyze all that stuff. They'll tell me, okay, based on my analysis, I think Apple stock is worth $150. Right now it's $140. You should buy in and make $10. And then competition is basically who can basically sell me the best stock 
and who basically has the best con like presentation and make is most believable and has the highest conviction that if I buy the stock, I'll make money. Now, running the stock pitch competition has been really great. The first year we did it, we based we had a lot of competitors. We have close to individuals across Canada and the United States apply. It was interesting. Our judges were like were hedge fund seat, like hedge fund managers. We had individuals from private equity. So it was like we had a lot of experience in the board. And biggest thing we realized started realized when we did that was we had many like challenges coming in. So first challenge was first we're running it. Organization has no legitimacy. So to establish the legitimacy as an organization is something that's really hard. I think you guys probably rec- probably know that from the first couple of years you guys have been running Spark now. Establishing legitimacy happens a lot more with the prizes you give out. First of all, why are competitors are more enticed? The more competitors you get by giving better prizes, the more competitors you have, and then your organization automatically comes out as legit. The second way you could establish legitimacy is you have to get some sort of another partner or individual on board that can come and help you out and say, hey, we support InvestBeta or we support Spark that way for that matter. And these are the two biggest challenges we have that we had in establishing legitimacy to basically get those people to come out. And the way we tackle them, the first way was we realized as InvestBeta, we did not want to put that much money towards finding prizes because winning $100 or $150 for pitching the best stock is fine, but it ends right there. And you wanted to basically create a prize that lasts a longer time. So what my team and I basically ideated was like, if one of the biggest things we could do for the stock push competition is we find a mentor in the finance field. So the finance industry, not sure if you guys know, this is a very competitive industry to get into. We have a lot of individuals gunning for like a couple of job openings every year. And what we decided was if high school students can get a chance to meet a finance mentor, someone who can guide them that, hey, you're in high school right now. When I was in high school, I wish I did this to break into the financial services industry easier. Or, hey, I went to this university, this is what I had, but my friends who went to XYZ University did better. Someone who could act as a mentor to them would be great. So what we did was we reached out to an individual who was just who also making content on TikTok, really smart individual as well. And he was this, he just graduated university. That was his first year out working in the job market. So we reached out to him and he agreed to come on as a mentor for the winners. And that was the first big prize we had. So by that, we basically got to idea of the partnership came out because he was basically partnered with the organization and it was a big prize because individuals always in high school individuals to get a finance mentor is something that's really rare. So individuals wanted to come that way. The second thing we had there was how to get the partner. So first, we already had the partner from this individual. The second way we got the partner was we started exploring different ways that corporations partner with organizations. And I had one, one of my, the best things I'll always advice I'll give is if you find the right people to run, help you run your organization, it's a hands-off method for you. So I had an individual who's really good at sponsorship and talking, getting individuals to come in interested about InvestBeta. So with them, we got in Ernst & Young, which is a big accounting firm, financial advisory firm, they came on board and decided to partner with us. This really, they came and gave a talk at, at our stock pitch competition. They support us from time to time with support they gave us, some advice they gave us not around the organization and things of that nature. By combining these two things where you have the right team who are able to attract the right partners, attracting the big name partners, and you're able to attract, find the right prices for your audience, you're able to overcome the challenges. So we have legitimacy established. We have the individuals want to come more on board. And that's how we were able to get individuals from the United States, individuals from Canada to come and apply and compete in the stock pitch competition. So looking at it from, I guess, a more participant perspective um, and going into a stock pitch. So what would you say is like the best way to stand out? And what, what do you think is the best way to win these stock pitch competitions to get opportunities like, you know, getting mentorship from a, someone who's just at a university? That's a great question. So stock pitches, as much as we don't like to say that, we everyone likes to say stock pitches are based on the content. It's really just how well you can communicate. I think communication skills in stock pitches are really important because you, the thing about investing is, especially when it comes to stock pitches, is 
it's not about how right you are about the stock. It's about how well you can convey that you think you're right. So conviction you have about your stock is really important. So if you're pitching me Apple and you seem so wishy-washy about it, but Simradeep is pitching me a completely horrible company, but he seems completely confident that he's right in his analysis and he's able to convey that through his pitch, he's going to win the stock pitch competition because he's able to convey that. And how, but how do you get that conviction? So getting that conviction is a thing that many investors also deal with. And it's really a challenge that everyone's going to deal with eventually when you go to in the world of investing. You get that conviction by doing your due diligence, by doing your research back end and noticing that you've asked all the right questions you have to ensure that when anyone asks you any question like, hey, why do you do this? And why do you think, what do you think about this aspect of the company? We're able to answer it. It's all going to come with a lot more due diligence and the work you do beforehand. And I like to put it this way, like it's like a math test. If you're not, if you're not studied for your math test, you're not going to be confident you're going to ace it. The more you study for it, the more confident you get. So to win these stock pitch competitions, the best way is to come and put in the work beforehand. Come and put the work in beforehand, ask the right questions, and always just have the high level of conviction. Because you could be pitching a horrible company. I've seen this in many stock pitch competitions. I've also participated. I've competed in a couple of them. I don't win some of them. And I noticed that the companies that do win are not, I don't agree with the pitch they've given, but the way they're able to convey to the judges why they should win is so much, it's much better than the way I've been able to convey that. And sort of learning the lesson that how do you communicate that conviction is that's what's going to make you win the stock pitch competitions. Speaking of, oh sorry, continue. So speaking of those winners, uh, just wondering at the Investbeta stock pitch competition, what company was pitched, and you know how are they doing now, and you know what's kind of been the outcome of that? Yeah, so one company that was pitched was Barrett Business Services. Uh, for those of you that I don't think many individuals know that company, but it's a small, it's a mid-sized company based in the U.S. and all the offers like business services, so like. If you guys have heard of like QuickBooks and ADP, which are like payroll processing companies and like financial services, they offer that to like small, medium business things. And I'll tell you this, the reason they once really were able to do it really well is they had all the work done beforehand. They were able to communicate their conviction concisely. I think they had one of the shortest pitches, but they were able to answer all the right questions. They called up management. They talked to the management of the company. They said, okay, what does it, it cost you to open a new location? How fast does it take you to break even on opening a new location? What are the types of clients you attract? What's your growth strategy? Everything from top to bottom, they asked the management. They had all the questions answered. So anytime the judge asked them a question, they had the answer right away and ready to give them. So they won because of that conviction. Now, in terms of the actual stock, the way it's been doing, I've not been keeping up with the stock personally, but we could probably give it a quick look up right now. And you could probably see like, I think they pitched it at about, 60, at about $59 or so, but Yeah, it's at $78. So you could probably say like within a span of a year, they had a, they've reached their price target they had set and it's doing better than that. So they had the, they were able to get the conviction and they were right eventually, but the work they did beforehand really helped them convey that conviction. Okay, so we talked a lot and you mentioned a lot about how difficult and how competitive the finance industry as a whole is. So as for someone in grade 12, for example, me and Kunal, if any of us are interested in getting into some sort of finance career or even just like investment back in banking or marketing, what sort of tips do you have from your experience in InvestBeta and your stock pitch competition? And what are some key tips and just details that you have that could help us succeed? Ooh, that's a loaded question. So the idea of the investment banking and those things is recruiting like the big part of the recruiting starts going to start in third year university if you go to four year university or it's going to be like the last co-op term if you go to five year university it's going to be that last year you have that's that's internships going to decide whether you're going to make it or no into banking and you could the best way to always get there is by networking and by studying your guides i think this is very similar to what you're going to see in tech and many other business many other industries but its idea is 
you have <coughs> sorry you have to know people that are going to help you get there so <coughs> if you have if you're going to school and i like to say this like banking itself and finance industry is very focused on the school you go to so if you want to go to banking and you go to school in canada unless you're going to queen's commerce western ivy or, or mcgill commerce it's going to be very hard for you to break into the industry now not everyone gets into the schools. So how do you make sure you're able to make sure that that's not a setback? That's going to be like, as a high school student, start networking. So if you are in high school right now, don't start networking with individuals who are already working, but start networking with individuals who are currently in university and they're either in third year or their fourth year and start talking to them about finance. Uh, start talking and build a relationship with them. Because when they graduate, they're going, to be able, they're going to be able to mentor you and get you there. So that's the first thing. High school students start networking students who are in university who have that finance ex expertise, who've worked in the financial industry, because they will help you prepare for those finance interviews. They will be able to put your name in for a referral and say, hey, you know what? I think Kunal's really good at finance, and I think he'd be a great addition to go at, at, to our team here at Goldman Sachs. Could we put, could we put a resume forward? That's the way you're going to work forward. Second thing, you got to study your guides. Like technology, like if you're going to work at a fan company, you're going to read the book, Cracking the Coding Interview. In finance, they have a bunch of guides that are going to give you every type of question they're going to ask you. you got to understand that. It's so understated how much strong knowledge of accounting and how the financial statements work. You could, that could be a whole separate discussion there. But if you understand how they work conceptually, you're really going to be you're proposed to offer the in interviews and really break into the industry. So key ideas, network early. Recognize what school you're going to play a difference. And if you don't get in the top schools, that's fine. Just network a bit harder. And lastly, just understand and rec understand the concepts, which is accounting and financial analysis and how to analyze businesses. At the end of the day, these really these industries are really focused on biz helping businesses grow. So if you're not able to analyze how strong a business is based on their financial statements, based on what you read about them, it's going to be hard for you. So now speaking of internships, so you talked about how, you know, the third year and the fourth year. Yeah internships are what's really going to get you into the field but you had in some internships in high school so the two companies that i remember are churalt and conversation health so yeah. could, could you tell us a little bit about you know what you did at both of those companies and what your position was yeah so i'll start with conversation all that was the first thing i had in grade nine in the grade nine summer so that one i was basically sort of a cross-functional team member between like ux and converse and customer experience design and along with more technical side of things which is basically working a lot more on programming the chatbot. So I'll just give a rundown on what those companies do. So Conversational Health was a company that worked on creating chatbots for medical companies and for medical purposes. So chatbots, if no one's familiar with that, if you ever gone on Facebook, Messenger, and you've just texted a comp, uh, organization and they text back and it's, it seems like an automated reply, that's what a chatbot is. And this, what Conversational Health did was develop this bots for pharma companies, pharmaceutical companies, like for companies in the medical space, medical device companies. and. I was, I was one of the 20 interns there. And what we did was we worked on creating a chatbot, but we didn't focus on the bit more business side of it. We focused on the nonprofit side of it. So we recognized teenagers like Samrity, Kunal probably have many questions about their health that they're too nervous to go ask their doctor or parents about. So it could be like, oh, if I work out, can I take creatine or things like that? And what we decided was if we were able to work and create a chatbot for teenagers to ask questions about their health, that would be really just moving forward. So... What I worked on is I worked on help designing the conversational flows in the chatbot because that's really understated. The way you have a conversation with the chatbot, it has to mimic a human, but you have to also have to not the user recognize it's a chatbot. That's the hard part. And we also worked on the idea of how are we able to make the chatbot more efficient? Can we kind of recognize what the user is asking without the user explicitly stating what is acne on my face? Like something like that. How can the chatbot use machine learning to recognize that? So 
I worked a lot more on the computational and helping the algorithm de detect that. And that was sort of my, my role there. And yeah, that one was really cool. I had to leave early because there were some family issues, like, at, but I was there for the whole time when he built the bot and the team eventually ended up getting sponsorships from like Planned Parenthood and organizations that way who really wanted to get involved. So that was a really good company there. The second company, Turalt, I think was one of the, I, to be honest, was one of the best internship experiences I've ever had. And this one was a much more smaller team. I was, there was only two interns. We had the CTO, we had the CEO, and that was about it. And you had one marketing intern. With Turalt, what they did was, you've all seen the Grammarly feature where they like check the mood of your writing, where they'll tell you it's a happy face, sad face. This one works a lot more in the professional space. And what this one does essentially is once you write an email, it will basically tell you how the other user or the other receiver, basically how they feel is going on. So what I did essentially is my, me and the other intern, we basically helped on building the machine learning algorithm to detect it. So previously they're using a different system. They wanted to migrate to machine learning. And essentially the best part about this was we owned the product we built. So me and the other intern, we worked a lot more on the product we built. We had everything for directly from the initial process to the end process and the whole product development pipeline. So it was a lot more of a data science and product management role, but it was one of the most rewarding ones. And that was because we were able to really specialize and hone in on the product. Any efficiency, inefficiency we found, we were able to fix it right away. So in this one, I worked a lot with Python and Kira's to build like neural networks and work on that side of things, but also a lot of that I worked a lot more on deployment. So with machine learning, the hardest part is deploying your machine learning models. You could create the best machine learning model, and this is going to get a bit technical, but if you cannot deploy it well for a server or for the product to use it, the machine learning model is essentially useless. So we, I spent a lot more time on deploying the machine learning model along with building it and sort of finding ways you could deploy it in a secure manner because at the end of the day, this company is dealing with data from financial institutions like BMO, RBC, things that way. How do you deploy it in a way that their data is not hacked? So it was sort of a whole cross-functional role and I basically played a lot more hats at Toronto. Toronto was basically more product management, a artificial intelligence developer role. Computational health was more like a UX, like basically a UX designer and more of a machine learning role. And so, of course, you mentioned some very like technical aspects there, um, like yeah. all learning, deployment, et cetera. Yeah. Um, and so, of course, like you mentioned with conversation health, you were in your grade nine summer. So obviously, yeah. um, how were you able to learn these concepts before going into those internships that made you, like, you know, that enabled you to do well there? That's a great question. So I'm always a believer of you have to learn by doing. You can't be, you just can't read a book online and just learn from that way. So when it came to conversational health, to be honest, I didn't know a lot. I just knew if you, I didn't even know the basics of like object-oriented programming. I, once I went in there though, I started recognizing a lot more of what I had to learn. Because the problem is when you start learning from a textbook, you can learn what the textbook tells you to, but you don't know what you don't know. So the best way to learn is just learn the fundamentals basics. Like for me, I just, if you ask me, I could create a function in Python. I could create a thing that could manipulate data and work that way. That was about it. Once I got on the job, I recognized, okay, I need to learn this skill. So I started working on learning that skill on the job while working there. And the more you learn by doing, the more sort of proficient you're going to get in it. You're going to start understanding, okay, here's a shortcut I could use. Instead of writing this whole line of code, I could get this done in like a simple if statement. I could get this done faster. So to learn your skills beforehand, it's not really possible, but the best way to learn it is just by, okay, learn your fundamental basics of the skills you think you're going to use there. If you're going to think you use Python, learn the fundamentals and basics of Python. When you do go there, start working a lot more and when you get hands-on with the project you learn so much more okay so uh you mentioned data science and we read a lot about how that's one of your interests as well so uh 
what would you say uh, it takes to be successful in data science and how what has your experience been in it so far yeah so i don't know if i know what it takes to be successful but i can definitely tell you that to get into the industry you're going to realize a lot more data science is nothing like as fancy as people are going to project it you're going to see lots of data scientists working on complex algorithms and statisticians and things that way eventually it all just boils down to can you analyze data i think uh, everyone talking about how you have to learn the new sort of Python framework, or you have to learn a new R, R programming language to be really successful in data scientists. Some extent it's true, but you can do everything you're doing with data science through Excel. To be successful data scientists, it's all about asking the right questions. This also goes back to the same thing investing. If you're not asking the right questions when you look at a set of data, or you're not able to analyze what, what the data is saying, or, what the or basically convey the story the data is telling you, it's gonna be hard for you to be successful in this space. So, Definitely to be a good successful data scientist, it's always going to be a lot more of take off many as many data projects that exploratory data projects you have. So you can go on Kaggle and you could find like hundreds and thousands of data sets. You go on there, you could find, okay, I have a great data set here. Why don't I analyze this data set? Come up with insights and predictions I have about this data set and start doing that a lot more data sets. And you start recognizing that not only just tech me mechanical skills, right? Mechanical skills, like how, how to program this function to read through the data and stuff, that gets better 100%. But more than that, you'll start recognizing patterns between the data sets. So you'll notice like, okay, if I'm analyzing the restaurant data from India compared to restaurant data, the, and then after a couple of projects, start analyzing restaurant data from the United States. You start recognizing, okay, this is similar data as we have here. What does it tell me about the Indian, the Indian economy versus the American economy? And sort of that thing. So to be a good data scientist, it's all about able, it's all about right, doing as much as you could and really asking the right questions. And then you're eventually going to get to that point where you are able to, yeah, we're going to get, you're going to get to the point where you're going to be sexual data scientist. Okay. So uh, another question that I had just in general. Yeah. So we, sorry about that. So uh, you go to the University of Waterloo. And as we've mentioned, both of us are in grade 12, and a lot of our audience are high school students uh, who are also interested in going to Waterloo, for example, myself. So we wanted to ask about how it's been for you so far. Um, I'm pretty sure this is your first year of uni. Yeah. So I'm sure it's been full of challenges because of the pandemic and whatever else there might be. So uh, how would you say your experience has been so far in the first couple of months? Yeah, so this first month has been a roller coaster, I'd say the least. Uh, I think. University, it's much different than what you'll see in high school, especially when you're living by yourself. Like I'm living off, I'm living on campus, and the biggest difference you start noticing is no one's behind you telling you what to do. I think if I skip a lecture or I show up late to a lecture, the professor doesn't care. I'm just there. I'm here to take notes. If I have questions, the professor will answer it. He's paid to teach the lecture. They're paid to teach the lecture. If I don't, if I miss my lecture, I can attend another lecture, and that's fine. I could. You basically have your own freedom, and this the reason this really gets becomes a roller coaster at the end of the day is because you have to start deciding your priorities right away. You'll start recognizing that what's more, what do you want to place higher on your priority list? Is it recognizing that you want to be up until like 3 a.m. partying or do you want to end up just recognizing that I got to go sleep by, I got to sleep early because I have a class the next morning. Recognizing your priorities or is it like, do I want to go chill with my friends right now or do I want to go study for my lecture? Do I want to go study for my exam tomorrow or do I want to go for a run? Priorities, and that's what that's the biggest thing you're going to start recognizing is you have to start recognizing your priorities right away, and that's going to make you that's going to give you the challenge of university. It's not the fact that yo you came in a pandemic. That's that's some of it, but the idea is you start you're in control of your life. If I if I wanted to make a decision at home when I was in high school, my mom would tell me, yeah, okay, you're not going outside, study for exam. I think I got to do it myself. So sort of that's the biggest challenge you're going to see. But 
if you were to talk specifically about Waterloo's challenges, you're going to start seeing, if you're studying engineering or mathematics and engineering or mathematics faculty, as far as I know, it's going to be a challenge just because you're coming in to a program where the content right away accelerates. Like you will start off a week doing high school stuff. You'll start off a week or two, maybe doing a little bit of high school review. But after that, it goes right up. And you're going to realize that the professors here are not telling you how to use the tools. They're giving you tools. Like the best analogy I like to give is if you were an apprentice at a carpenter shop, he's giving you a drilling machine, but he's not telling you how to use it. You're supposed to observe. You're supposed to find ways where you're going to use it. He'll tell you what it does. It's your job to figure out when to use it. That's similar here. They're going to give you tools. Your job is to recognize how you're going to use this mathematical tool, how you're going to use this and physics tool. And that's the biggest challenge you're going to start seeing academically wise. So of course, it's a complete drastic jump from what seems like high school, you know, in high school teachers are kind of, they're babying you realistically. Um, they're telling you what to do. They're telling your homework to yeah. do. Um, you got to get your project done. So then how would our audience, high school students, be able to prepare themselves before they get into university and face this, you know, next level of challenge? I think the, honestly, the best way to start managing your time, like in high school, I know for many individuals, high school's a breeze. Like I've seen some of my friends who did nothing through high school. They just showed up to a test, got a hundred and managed to get through into university. Manage your time. Even if you're not studying, find other things you can do and start setting priorities for yourself. The more you start doing that, the more you're going to realize you're preparing for university. It's that idea that when you start recognizing how to manage your time in high school, it becomes a habit. And when you move forward into your university, when you move forward into even your job, you're able to recognize that, hey, maybe going out right now is not the best thing. Maybe I should just stay back and study or I should stay back and work. So in high school, start managing your time, start being that time management things will do well. And secondly, start understanding if academically wise, start understanding the content you're learning. You're not the biggest thing I see where high school students mistake that even I know I did sometimes was we learned content for the test. And we only cared about getting the high mark, but we never really cared about moving forward and understanding the content to a deeper extent. University is not like that. You could do an, they'll give you an assignment for, they'll give you a math assignment. You could answer the question really well there. You go to the exam and they'll ask the question in a completely different manner. And you won't know what to do because you never really understood the concept well. So that's the biggest thing. Start understanding the concepts to a deeper extent. Start framing problems or start doing a lot more advanced practice questions where you are forced to really think of the concept beyond a certain scope. Okay, so uh, moving on, since uh, Spark is really STEAM oriented, yeah. uh, we want to ask have, if, you've have, uh, if you've had any opportunities to explore STEAM skills uh, so far in the university. Yeah, so STEAM skills, are, define STEAM skills, right? Is the broad thing, so what is the scope we're talking about? Coding, are we talking a lot more into mathematics? What are we looking here? Uh, honestly, just like this, this, this is pretty vague, whatever you can talk about. So. It's like your science, our technology engineering, yeah, our so. math, or whatever you've been able to explore so far. It's been a month, but um, have you had any opportunities so far? Yeah, so I'm not sure I've had like the opportunities just like present themselves, but like in your classes, you're going to start recognizing if I'm in a math faculty program, so I definitely have exposure to like, the technology side, the mathematics side. But I think like if you really want those opportunities, like there was half the North a couple of weekends ago. Like those are the biggest opportunity you had for technology. Those are basically, those are the opportunities that are going to come in university STEAM oriented. You're going to recognize like, there's going to be like the student design teams at Waterloo too. Like you have Waterloo Autonomous, which are like the biggest teams. You, if you're really interested in engineering, you can join those. You could join like their technical side, their software side. So those are the opportunities that are going to present themselves. It's on you whether you want to take it or no. And yeah, so personally, the opportunities I've technically had is, yeah, nothing much really, just like the classes I've had, like, 
I, my math classes are really just intense mathematics. So you have the math part there. You also have the coding part for my CF classes. And then, yeah, something I do on the side is I'm also part of the business team at our Formula Motors support team here. So that's like the thing I do, but that's like more business side of the client of this team. So, yeah. And another question that I had. So uh, obviously, I'm not sure if you have the best answer for this because it's only been a month. But so far, have you had, do you think it's been hard for you to manage your time with all your extracurriculars as well as being the founder of Invest Beta? Or do you think it's something that you're managing easily? Like just the jump from high school to university along with all the other commitments that you have? So definitely, I think it's, I don't know if it's easier or no, but I feel like I've knock on wood, I've been able to manage it pretty well. I think I've been <coughs> able to recognize like I have my, like my latest class ends at three o'clock. And that's like an optional class. So most of my classes are done by 1, 1 p.m. From 1 p.m. to like maybe like 7 p.m. at night, I could finish up all my work and have six hours to finish all my work and finish up every all my priorities, everything I need to finish up. And after that time, it's literally just, I have so much time available to me if I want to go with my friends, I want to spend time on my extracurriculars, if I want to spend time networking with individuals. So yeah, it's like, it's not that hard to manage your time. It's just you got to recognize when you have those pockets of time where you can be productive and when you're going to utilize those. Okay, so I guess just time management as a whole is a really important thing that we should be working on. Um, yeah. So if, Kunal, if you don't have any more questions, we have a little game segment for you, a little rapid fire questions. Yeah, for sure. So um, we have just like three or four questions here and just like whatever comes to your mind, uh, we'll just do a quick discussion about it. So first off, we have, would you rather invest in the stock market or in cryptocurrency? If I was like a new investor, 100% the stock market. And why would you say that? So first off, like cryptocurrency as an investor, it's it takes a lot of time to like understand what the technology is, what you're really investing <coughs> in. Uh, I think we talked about this before, but investing is about asking the right questions. One of the key questions you have to ask is what are you really investing in? If you're, if you're investing in the stock market, you're, it's easier to answer the question, what are you investing in? If you're investing in cryptocurrency, it's really hard to answer the question, what am I investing in? So 100% the stock market, you're able to, it's easier for in, investors to understand what they're investing in. It's, it's less of a learning curve. Okay. Yeah. And so now going into some more technical aspects as well. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you, what's the first, first coding language that you ever learned? I learned Python, the first coding language I learned. And was this because of the internship working in Python or is this something you chose to do yourself? I think for me, yeah, I think Python was just something that was a lot more easier for me to understand because I tried learning code since like grade six, never really picked it up until like grade, mid to grade seven and grade eight. But I think the idea with programming languages was it was so much, it was harder to understand the really abstract aspect of it. Like for the longest time I spent like, I think I was in grade six, I spent like close to two months trying to understand what a variable is and why we need one. But as soon as you came into Python, it was a lot more intuitive and easy to learn. So for me, that became sort of my way. That was like the first introduction to programming where it was easy for me to understand what was going on. Like for, okay. I'll take my example. I began with learning C-sharp. Um, right. And I found that it's it's definitely different than Python. So I guess it's kind of everyone's cup of tea. You got to pick which one you think would work yeah, best. Exactly. And what motivated you to learn C-sharp first? Pardon me? Why, why did you choose to learn C-sharp C first? So C-sharp was the uh, framework that my computer science teacher used. Okay. He found that it was more beginner-friendly because it allowed you to make mistakes. Um, and it pointed out those fundamental programming mistakes to you from the get-go. So you're able to build okay. fundamentals up. So then when you go into a language that's like Python, C, that's more, like that's less forgiving on these mistakes, you're able to catch them immediately and you've built those good coding practice from the get-go. Okay, uh, that's pretty interesting. 
I think my computer science teacher taught us in Java. Yeah, that's true. Because we also use this thing called App Inventor, which was kind of like was a it's it's not necessarily a coding language, but it's more oh, so the MIT App Inventor. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That was awesome. like, Yeah. So before I mean, I, hey, touching my first language was Python, so that's cool. But I don't code anymore. You don't code anymore? Why is that? No. Uh, I mean, I did a bit of it in grade eight, and then I kind of just stopped. And then I had grade eleven consign, grade ten. And I kind of just stopped again, but you know, it's all cool. I guess, uh, and I found like uh, something my uh, computer science teacher used to say is uh, that uh, coding in general is kind of like math, but with puzzles. It's like you're, try you're trying to find, you're like making a code and then trying to see what exactly works, fitting all the uh, puzzle pieces in, yeah. make like a whole product. It's really cool when you think about it that way. Yeah, it's, it's a lot more like understanding the big puzzle pieces, how you can solve it. And because you're given those constructs, right? You can't, the way you solve it, uh, the way your brain solves a problem, you have to find a way to put that into paper for a computer to solve that same problem. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, so uh, the next question we have for you are, what are your thoughts on NFTs? <sighs> to be honest, I looked at them a while back. At some point, I do believe like they really have value to them. Like they're able to, they're they have value just because we think they have value, but at the same time, they're really interesting for individuals to sort of explore. I think we, I, the biggest anal analogy I could think has been, or what I've, I've been told is, it's like digital art. You could own a piece of digital art, like how you could own a piece of physical art, and that increases in value. Now, the debate could be gone on why physical art is valued at so much, but if you look at, if people really want to own the same value of digital art, so that's really value of NFTs rising up. So idea is it really allows a new generation of art investors or people who want to get involved in collectibles to get in to get start buying them up more than that i feel like it's a cool new asset class that we're able to give access to investors i think before this it was a lot more collectibles were really just physical owning digital collectibles now just completely changes the game for many individuals so i think they're a cool thing i don't know if i'm bullish or bearish on it but i do think they're really cool for individuals to sort of explore or learn a bit more and you could probably formulate your own opinion on them Honestly, I've been looking into investing for the past, for the past kind of year, I've been working yeah. with a brother who's, in, who's, doing an, who's doing an MBA right now on it and NFTs and to understand NFTs, it took me a while. And I, I don't think I was confidently able to say that I knew what an NFT was until like a month ago. Yeah. It's, it's a huge learning curve, especially like the crypto space, like NFTs, blockchain, smart contracts, like decentralized finance. You're going to realize very early on, it is hard to learn about them, but once you do learn about them, you start recognizing the power they do hold for like further things and now kind of talking about another big trend and not a big trend in investing um with gme recently wall street yeah. i wanted to ask you are you for or against i'm for it like my idea behind wall street bets and it's my idea about investing is investing is a game where everyone has their own different opinions and whoever's right wins it's literally just a game what it is and money's a way to keep score so Wall Street bets is a way you could just, it's like a, it's like a chat, it's a chat form you have in like Call of Duty, it's a chat form you have out in like any game you've had, whoever's right is going to win. So if on Wall Street bets, you have individuals saying that they believe GameStop is going to go up and out, they could try manipulating markets or whatever, but that's a separate story. They believe and if GameStop is going to go up and they're able to justify it well, I'm for it because at the end of the day, if they're able to share their analysis and if other people like their analysis, they can buy the stock. I think Wall Street bets is a little bit more sort of to the is a bit more for the untrained investors like at some point so like you have individuals who are not that familiar with investing just get involved there but 
it's very similar to finance Twitter. If any of you have explored finance Twitter, you'll recognize it. it's a lot of people just giving out stock ideas they have and just exploring, really going through them in detail saying, okay, I like, I like buying Apple stock because I believe I have a strong management team and the goal. So it's the same thing as Wall Street bets, just that it's on Twitter and it's a lot more trained investors. You have more hedge fund managers, more small cap fund managers on there. So at the end of the day, it's the same thing, right? You just up for it. And the reason I'm for it is always, it just allows the more uneducated investors to just get involved earlier. And if they do make mistakes by investing in wrong stocks, you're able to learn from that. The, I guess I kind of compare this to the way I learned about investing is um, I read a lot on Yahoo Finance's blogs. There's a yeah. lot of people that are able to publish their own things. Yeah. Um, you have a discussion community and that's what like the, the stock Corsair. Um, it, yeah. Based company. I learned so much from just reading those forums for an hour than I probably would have just researching the company's history forever. Exactly. It's the forums are such a good way to get involved in. It's, it's really important that we start like really just promoting them a lot more because that's really good. That's a good way we could get more individuals in, interested in investing. Sure. Okay, so uh, I feel like we've come uh, really close to uh, the end of our little discussion here. I feel like it was really informative just as a whole for everyone who is interested and even not interested in uh, financial management. So uh, just before we end off, are there any more links or social media that you'd like to share for our um, listeners? Yeah, so yeah, we're, we're starting up our invest beta, like new posting schedule a lot more. So definitely check out our Instagram. It's just, it's invest beta. Uh, I'll probably send you the link. You'll probably put in the description here and mm -hmm. it's definitely a really cool, check it out. We're going to start like this year. We have some really cool things planned out. We're starting a newsletter, our monthly newsletter on here and start really talking a lot about, about how to invest in different industries, where things you should look for. So that's what we're really excited about this year. And yeah, that's, and we also have a medium page. Again, I'll link that to you. So if you're really just getting into investing, read the medium page. It was written by Three amazing young individuals who used to write for us, Navi, Bunch, and Simon. Smart. The, this is the best way for any high school student to get involved in investing. It's like covers everything from what a stock is and what a good business is to all the way to how you want to be setting price targets for stocks and how you want to be valuing what a stock is worth. So that's a really good way if you want to get involved. So I'll, I'll send both the links to Kanal or Samardeep and you guys can include them in the description and the audience can check it out. Sounds good. We'll definitely do that. Well, with that being said, um, thank you for spending your time with us today, Jay. We learned a lot about running an organization, investing, and, you know, your personal experiences. And to our viewers and you, Jay, until next time, have a good one. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. Thanks for tuning in to Spark After Hours. If you liked this episode, consider following us on Spotify and Instagram at Spark Hacks. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful day.